The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by SunmaxBatteries.com, as always, the go-to website for all your battery needs. Sunmax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries. Sunmax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands, and the best part, Sunmax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, game controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke lamps, whatever device you need a battery for, Sunmax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24-pack of Ultra Alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming and high-tech devices at just $12.99. You can order today and use coupon code BOSTON, that's coupon code BOSTON all over case at checkout, and save 20% off your entire order. So you save 20% off those already low prices I was just talking about. Semixbatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks as always to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we are joined by Guy Boston Sports writer Severin Levenstein. Severin, welcome back to the show. Hey, KJ, good to be with you. So, we're going to be talking about the Patriots. Uh, I, I waited, I, you know, I, I didn't do one after the Chargers game. I didn't do a Patriots podcast after the Chargers game. I wanted to wait. I wanted to wait till after the Rams game. And this game, I'm going to be honest with you. It was a game I was feeling pretty confident about all season long. I thought the way the Patriots, of course, played the Rams way back when in the Super Bowl, a Rams team that offensively doesn't look a lot different. They just don't have Todd Gurley anymore. I felt like Bill Belichick was going to be able to do it again. Was going to be able to. He just the way he owned McVay in that Super Bowl, he was going to be able to run it back. He was going to be able to do the same things to McVay, some of the same things. And this should have been a game they were going to be able to win. And it was just the polar opposite of that, and they got shellacked last night. Yeah, your your optimism levels were a lot higher than mine. I, I wasn't giving them much of a chance in this game, although I think it's surprising just, I mean, you, how often do you really see a team go from beating another team 45 nothing to then barely being able to score in their next game? I think this Rams one was trouble really from the start, and especially when you look at just the way Bill was even ribbing the, the Rams about how they were out there for longer than the home team was for this week. And then just, I, I mean, I'm glad that you thought it was going to be like the Super Bowl, but I personally was looking at this roster thinking, on paper, this is pretty bad, and McVay is a good coach, better than Anthony Lynn, certainly. So I wasn't giving them much of a chance, and I think that uh, even so, that was a pretty rough game to watch last night. Yeah, I'm surprised. And, and the 45 nothing thing, I agree. I mean, I, I, it felt like at the time that we were going to look back at that game as a massive aberration. Because this is something, sure, that p- teams of Patriots passed so I didn't capable of. But that game, in the context of a season that was at the time 6-6 six and six and what you'd seen come before it, that was clearly an outlier. was not going to be something that, that really was evident of what the team would be moving forward. I, I never thought that. But I'm surprised to hear you say, could just the way Belichick outdueled McVay in that Super Bowl, and I have respect for McVay, I have respect for the roster, the talent there, but just the way he controlled that game, the way he made... Goff looked like a puddle, and McVay, you know, twists him in knots in that game. You know, you often hear about when when you lose a Super Bowl, it messes a team up mentally. I thought that we were going to see the same mental, you know, weakness or the lack of of, of mental fortitude from the Rams in this game. I thought it was just going to, it was going to be like war flashbacks. They were going to have like, you know, they were going to see Bill Belichick on the other sideline. They were just going to lose, lose, you know, their, their grip on the game and everything like that. And I just, but I'm surprised to hear you didn't have that same kind of thought that, you know, McVay was going to have trouble just getting over that, that mental hurdle of facing off against Bill Belichick, because it seemed like he struggled with that so much when they faced off in the Super Bowl. No, I mean, I just think if you look at just very simply, who were the players on the field in that Super Bowl, you had fantastic contributions from linebackers like Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, all of whom are not there for the Patriots. You're relying a lot on rookies, so I think we saw had some trouble making tackles. I mean, even then, you look at some of the, the assignments on the first two drives, I think Chase Winovich only had two plays, which is a very sort of minor detail. But then, you know, look on the offense, the Super Bowl MVP, Julian Edelman not out there, obviously no Brady. It's a very different team. So that, to me, was, was a leveling factor right there, just with how different the teams were. I, I have a lot of respect for McVay. I don't really for Goff. I think he's not very good. But I think with what they have around them, I, again, remember Cooper Cup didn't play in that Super Bowl. So really, 
in my opinion, it, it's kind of two different teams. And then if you go with the base assumption that McVay is more on the level of Belichick really than some of these other coaches, and it's been a little while since he's seen this, you know, a, a Patriots team, and he's yet he's had time to think about it. You've heard all those quotes about how McVay didn't sleep after the Super Bowl and how he was thinking a lot about what they could have done differently and all of this stuff. And so I think, and then again, too, if, if you look at the Rams, I think their running game, honestly, this is my more controversial take, but I think it's been improved with the, the absence of Gurley and now when they've kind of gone with this revamped uh, rushing attack, which you saw last night. So I think all of those factors combined for really what I said at the beginning, which was, in, in my opinion, a more respect, a more expected, excuse me, a more expected result. Um, and I think really a better Rams team, frankly, than you saw in that Super Bowl. I think more prepared, too, would be the other word. Well, Cam Akers certainly looked great last night. And, you know, you're right about the talent. Everything you said about the talent is right. But the reason that I put such an emphasis on coaching is because when we look back at that Super Bowl and we talk about the Super Bowl, I don't think we talk about it in the context of talent. We talk about it in the context of coaching because people kind of looked at that Super Bowl and said, you know, in the Belichick-Brady vein, that was Belichick's Super Bowl. You know, Brady, you know, and, and you know, there are arguments for Brady that, that I think are valid about, you know, the whole thing of the Chiefs game. That was a Brady game. The, the reason they won that was Brady. But in the context of that game, in the Rams-Patriots game, it was Belichick holding the, you know, Rams to three points. And it was, it was all about him, that game, in, in, you know, hindsight, the way we paint it. And so, I was painting that game in much of the same way that it was going to be about coaching. And, you know, when you, again, when you looked at the previous week, you mentioned, of course, yes, I, I respect McVay more than Lynn, but I think that that game, the Chargers the previous week, Chargers Patriots, that game was a lot about coaching too, because the, you know, you just saw the Chargers fall apart on special teams. So I just had my mind completely focused on coaching and I was ignoring the talent. And I think you're right. What, what we saw on the field last night was the talent showing up and, and really being the difference maker. With that said, Belichick did come out after the game and say, I got outcoached. Well, he he said we got outcoached, outplayed, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, in there, he says I got outcoached. And I think that was the most surprising thing to come out of that game for me was I did. I just I thought Belichick owned this guy. And it turns out that he didn't. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly look at it that way. I think the thing with Belichick is always you have to look at him as more than just a coach. He's the GM as well. And so if you se- if you want to separate it and you say, okay, well, Belichick, the coach, has done you know marvels to, to get them to what they were at this game, I believe, was 500 uh, before the loss. And, you know, yeah, he's done a good job coaching. Obviously, you can point to the, the Cardinals win as a big one and some of these other games where they've hung in there. And, you know, even just being able to hang with the Chiefs with Brian Hoyer for a large portion of that. So you can give Belichick the coach credit for that, and the game plans are probably similar to what he's had in the past. But you can't let Belichick the GM off the hook. He's the one who's built this roster, and he's the one having trouble, you know, just even putting in some of the pieces that he's gone out and gotten. I mean, KJ, there's no tight end position on this team. They, they, that's that's one specific thing. Again, you can pick out little areas of focus. That's just one I happen to be going to in this instance to make my point that you can talk about how great the coaching is, you know, which it might be from Belichick to give him on that certain you know level to at least be able to hang with some of these teams and maybe give you the perception that, oh, he might have a chance against the Rams. But at the end of the day, if Belichick, the GM, has put Belichick, the coach, in a hole, which I believe he did for this season, it doesn't matter. And, and I think you're seeing that too. And if you just look at this season as a whole with just some odd little things like who would have ever thought they would have looked as bad as they did against the Broncos or really that you'd be in this situation with the QB or or almost losing to the Jets a couple weeks ago you can point to all of these little things and say yes the base level of coaching from Belichick that we've seen over the years is still there but they're just in such a hole from some of the decisions they made in the offseason that it's not enough yeah and I mean the big thing to me going to this game just based on talent too was like one of the strengths of the Rams defense I think they're they're allowing, you know, some of the fewest uh, statistical, you know, uh, accolades or whatever. That they're, they're allowing some of the lowest statistics to wide receivers this season because their secondary is so good with Jalen Ramsey and stuff like that. And obviously the Patriots, they're, you know, more focused on running the ball and they're not really using their receivers that much. So I thought that that would be advantage Patriots too. But as it turns out, I mean, the Rams just completely outclassed. I mean, it was the total opposite almost of what we saw the previous week with the Chargers. And uh, I, I thought the Patriots would also benefit from, you know, the advantage of having those back-to-back games in LA. They were obviously staying over. Maybe that hurt them more than it helped them, you know, having to practice at UCLA and everything. I mean, by, by all accounts, Belichick said it was a pleasant experience. And 
I thought it was going to be something, you know, again, one of these things that you look at and say, Belichick taking advantage of a situation, you know, he was, you know, Belichick smarter than everyone else, he's going to stay over in LA, he's going to have, you know, somewhere for the Patriots to practice, and yada, 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 all this stuff would help the Patriots on Thursday night, and it, it really didn't show up, it didn't seem like it helped them at all. I mean, you can't coach what you don't have, one of my favorite things was seeing that graphic, I mean, Fox was relentless with the graphics last night, which I loved, but one of my favorite ones uh, which I retweeted the other night, was the, the wide receivers drafted since 2010. And it's side-by-side side with a picture of, of Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Myers, and, and Demir Bird. And I like them, for the most part, for what they are. But it, it's just very simple. You, you can't coach up what's kind of non-existent, which is really the offense at this point. And so, you know, I just think, again, just to go back to it, if you're in such a hole, I mean, you can you can coach the crap out of a Little League team or, or a Pop Warner team, and it's still not going to end up making much of a difference. Not saying that's the Patriots, but... You know, even just a representative offense at some points with, you know, the, the bigger picture of play calling and red zone offense. And it's just, it, it, it's not going to matter if you don't have the pieces. And I think you saw that. And as much as we want to believe that this team can do anything and maybe still squeak into the playoffs mathematically, I just think it's a little bit of a pipe dream at this point. So I asked this question as much of a formality and more of a jumping off point than anything. But is the season over? Is this it? Do you have any hope whatsoever that what you just said, the Patriots can somehow get into the playoffs? Do you have any hope at all, even the smallest bit, that that's at all possible? No, I don't. And I and I hope it doesn't happen. I just the the thing that I come back to is they started two and five. I think that was the that was the starting. Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but that I think that was the the way that they started. And I just that's hard for me to to kind of come back from and be like, oh, you know, that's. That, that's a good start, and they can save the season from that. That was so demoralizing. That's not a, a, a Patriots start. And yeah, they even it up, and they stay 500. But, I mean, just use your eyes. Watch the offense. Watch this team. Watch the defense even. I think they've gotten better. I think that's the one area of improvement is the defense has gotten better. But, no. I mean, sorry. I've, I've given you a long-winded answer to my short version, which is no. And even if they did, I mean, think about think about the credit Bill would get, again, to go back to this 2-5 and five thing. You would it would be oh it's it's such an amazing job of coaching up this team and and of you know doing so well to to be a representative team after moving on from Tom Brady and all this and if you watch this team is that what you think do you do you see this team and you think wow that's a that's a playoff team right there that is a that is a team that deserves to be fighting for a championship I don't think anybody who watches this team fan or otherwise can really say that and deep down as much as you want to believe it and root for the laundry I just if you look at how bad it has looked this season. The answer is no, they're not a playoff team. So here's my biggest problem with the playoff thing is, it yes, it's still mathematically possible, like you said, but there are so many teams ahead of them. You're asking so many good teams to lose three of four or, or go two and two down the stretch. And it's just, I don't think that you're going to have the Ravens and the Raiders and the Colts or the Titans or the Dolphins or whatever. I don't, you need all of those teams to kind of fall apart here, basically, at this point, or at least three of the four that I just mentioned. And, you know, if it was just one or two, if it was just one, if you were in eighth place or ninth place and you just needed one or two of those teams to kind of, you know, go bad here at the end of the season, sure, that might be possible. But at this point, you can't expect so many of these teams to just completely like tank me at the end of the season here. Because it, and it's it's a difference between you know being in I guess the NFC or the AFC because in the NFC right now the NFC is so much worse. I think I mentioned that prior to this week the Patriots would have had something like the sixth or seventh best record in the NFC, but in the AFC they had the tenth best record. So you know this your conference is kind of hurting you in this case just how superior it is. But at this point I just I can't I I know that there's a path. I, I hate to say that word. Uh, I, I know that there's some way that this can still happen, especially because they still do have the Dolphins on the schedule. But it's 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 too unlikely to me. I think that you needed to at least get yourself to you know eight and six, and then see where you are from there. And then you know m- maybe you can have some sort of hope that you know oh yeah well maybe you can drop a game here or there or whatever, and eventually you know the, the tiebreakers will work out for you. But to have that hope that you need to run the table and you need so much help at this point from you know here on out, it's just it's too unrealistic to really be something that you're you're you know confident in or even have a, a 
any faith in whatsoever. Well, I mean, small exercise for you here. All those teams you named, you know, Raiders, Colts, Titans, all of the Ravens, all those teams, are they better than them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, even the Raiders I look at, and I know they beat the Raiders, and I know they beat the Ravens, and, you know, they beat a lot of teams on the schedule. I know that we, we talk about the, the tiebreakers and everything that they have over these teams, but... If you're, I don't know if they're better. I mean, are they more talented? Yes. I mean, it's just, tough just when you... eye test. Just, just what you've seen. Are they better? I, I just, I don't know. Even the Dolphins, when you look at that, that win earlier in the season, and, and then with the way the Dolphins looked when Tua was at his peak, I wonder. And like you said, the Ravens. You beat the Ravens, but do you think you're a better team than them? Because, because I don't. I mean, I think these teams are more talented than them. That's what I come down to. I, I mean, when you look at the the kind of talent, even the Dolphins have. Look at the Dolphins. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, someone you lost this off season. Tua, Devontae, Mike Kosicki, that guy's, you know, turned into a pretty good tight end for them. Miles Gaskin, like, their team is, I'm sorry, it's more talented than you, and Brian Flores is no schlump at head coach either. So, you know, these teams, I look at, and I'm not a big Colts fan, but their defense is one of the best in the league right now, and they have a really good running game, and obviously, you know, Quentin Nelson on the offensive line, all those guys, and Phillip Rivers, I don't love, but, I mean, he's, you know, a veteran quarterback that can kind of, you know, lead the team and, and, and be, you know, have a good head on his shoulders and knows what to do, makes the right decision, you know, on offense. So, uh, you know, it's just, th- that's part of the reason why I look at these teams and I'm like, you're, you're not going to get the help you need. You're just not uh, going to get the help that you out- would actually have to get in order for you to somehow sneak into the postseason. So at this point, I'm ready to just call it quits and, and completely focus on next year. I was somebody that, uh, we'll get into this later, but I was somebody that, you know, I was like, you know what, just don't play Jared Sinem, it's not worth it, I don't believe in this guy anyway, you know, at, at any point I don't care, just, you know, play Cam Newton, he's the better quarterback, at this point, now I don't really care, it's just, like, sure, just throw Jared Sinem, just fine, let's just, if you need to throw Jared Sinem out there just to be sure that he's not anything special, then go for it, have him start three games and really show you what he is, because uh, if, if you need that hard, you know, proof that he's not an NFL caliber quarterback. So so my point there with that small exercise is just to illustrate that in my opinion you're in sports purgatory right now. You're you're too good to get a high draft pick and you're too bad to really be a playoff team if not a serious playoff team if they make it mathematically. It's the worst place to be in my opinion because you're just kind of in that that middle area. You don't give fans that hope, at least, of hey, well, even though we're terrible, at least we might get a a, a franchise altering player. And you're not good enough to say, well, even if we make the playoffs, we don't have a realistic chance. I mean, and, and even if you want to have that false hope of like, well, if you get in, anything can happen. Again, I just go back to the eye test. If you watch this team, I think anybody will tell you that they just simply don't have the firepower to, to compete with anybody. So when you're hovering around that 500, even that you know nine and seven or slightly below. I just find that to be one of the worst places. And then you start getting into those questions like you were just mentioning of who should the quarterback be? And well, we can't put in Stidham until we're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. And even then, I would just rather watch Stidham to figure out where the heck you are. You know, are, are, are we in a, in a position where, okay, this hasn't been the, the greatest season to watch ever. Cam Newton has been a little rough to, to you know, figure out what, what, how he's going to do at times. Is he going to be able to come into the game and even be able to throw the football? But with Stidham, I just want to see, okay, is there something there? Can I have some hope for the next season? Did they maybe not botch this, and do they have the guy? Or, or at least a guy that you can rely on for a couple of years while you move on to the next guy? You're in a very precarious position where you don't know, frankly, what is going to go on with the quarterback position after this season? And that's a scary thought. And I would rather, honestly, spend the rest of this season figuring that out. And I think it's with Jared Stidham. And it doesn't really give him a whole lot of opportunity when you're throwing him out there for max two drives against the the Rams and Aaron Donald to just basically get sacked and hurried and pressured and and just, hey, kid, you know, go out there and and, and see what you can do. Because I don't think that really serves any purpose for him. And I think... Frankly, if it's up to me, I would be putting him in there in the starting position. But do you find the sports purgatory argument to be as prevalent in football as it is in other sports? Because I personally, I I don't think it's the worst place to be in the NFL. Why not? Well, I mean, look, I'll run through the most recent, I'll run through the last few Super Bowl champions with you, okay? And you tell me the team that won it because they tanked. The Chiefs, the Patriots, the Eagles, the Patriots, the Broncos, the Patriots, the Seahawks. The Ravens, the Giants, the Packers, the Saints, the Steelers—like n- none of those teams to me 
benefited from tanking at any point. The Chiefs, they were bad for one year. They got Eric Fisher out of well, it. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily tanking, but I'm saying have like having a high pick, being an either in that middle. I think we would all agree. The Chiefs had a top ten pick for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if you go yeah, down but the they list, traded up for it. Sure, but they had the ammunition to do so. Do the Patriots have the ammunition really to trade up into that that top? No, but I think that's a I think that's a different argument though. You have to get that am- like that's be about being well run. You need to be well run, but you don't necessarily need like to you know to. Well, that's all factoring in the the well run area of the franchise. I think is also another reason why you you sort of avoid that purgatory area. And then again, if you look at you know let's say the Steelers when they drop down or they move up, they're well run enough to be able to kind of maneuver their draft capital to be able to take. I mean, for them, it's usually a great wide receiver. But my argument of the purgatory is not necessarily as black and white as tank or don't tank. It's more along the lines of where the team ends up finishing. But when you're in that purgatory area and you're not really in a good spot in terms of capital or players on your team, that's where it really hurts you. I mean, the Patriots right now, in addition to being in a bad spot where they're not just going to automatically get a good draft pick or make the playoffs, they don't really have a whole lot of options to move one way or another. I, I think that's pretty fair to say. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly from a hope standpoint, just in the in the immediate, I think that that's fair to say because you either can have hope that you maybe can win a Super Bowl because your team's a playoff team, or you can have hope that you're getting a really special player because you're picking up it high in the draft. And it, it's it's easier, and you don't really have anything if you're in the middle. You, you, don't, you don't have a playoff team, you don't have a high pick, so exactly. you, you don't have either of those you know things that you can look at and say, that's what we're banking on. Um, and, and that's what our season's about. So I, I get it from that standpoint, but I just think it's easier to kind of become a good team from that middle than it is from the bottom because there's so many in the NFL there are just so many players on your roster it's the biggest roster in any sport that it ultimately it's a it's about just kind of picking away and building it up piece by piece rather than kind of trying to get that one big piece and, and the quarterback certainly can help the most but even when you get that guy it's hard to you know, you still need to have uh, enough around him to win. There's so many guys that we've seen come into the league, and you know they're good or they're even great quarterbacks, but they just don't have the team around him. Like a guy that we're, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute here, at least a little bit, Matthew Stafford. You know, he goes to Detroit and he's okay. He's pretty good. Some people think he's really good, and some people look at his statistics and say that guy should be, you know, considered one of the better quarterbacks in the league. You know, he's thrown for five thousand yards, whatever else, and he's just n- done nothing with the Lions ever. Because the Lions are a train wreck. They were 0-16. They drafted the quarterback. They got a little better. They had a few good players. But ultimately, they're they're not a well-run team. And that's how they went 0-16 in the first place. And, you know, you, 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 it's it's about the collective and building up a team. Building, obviously, a winning culture, which is something that we hear a lot in the NFL. And less about, you know, just having that immediate gratification of, like, you know, that, that high draft pick, the shiny new player. Even the Trevor Lawrence. Like, how much confidence do you have that... The Jets, let's say they get Trevor Lawrence. Like, do you think the Jets are going to be ever be a really, really good team with Trevor Lawrence? Or do you, do you think it's more likely that they're, you know, the, uh, I don't know, pick it, the, the Colts with Peyton Manning or that they're the, you know, Lions with Matthew Stafford? Like, which, which do you think is a more likely situation there? Well, I'd rather sort of answer that question by posing another one and say, did we really think that the, the Bills were going to turn it around when they drafted Josh Allen? Did we think... The Dolphins, for at least that stretch, were going to look very good when they got Tua. I I think that's a lesser extent. I'd rather go with the Allen comparison. But, I mean, I think it does have the power to change a lot of things. Now, obviously, you need a competent coach. The the Jets still need that. And you need some things to break your way within the organization, i.e., for this particular point— uh, the Patriots kind of dropping back down to the pack. But I think it does have a big a big impact. And again, if you're signing that guy, I think those contracts, if my memory serves me correctly, are, are around five years. And you have that much time to build around that guy. And as we're seeing with the Patriots, you can keep you know a, a, a team kind of, and again, I, I guess they're not really a great example because they don't really have a whole lot of pieces to build around. So maybe not the best example here that I'm getting to. But that quarterback position is so important. If you don't have a guy in that area to, to really build around, then then you've got some issues. And again, as you've pointed out, it doesn't always work because of the team and what's around them. But let me let me flip this on its head as well. I know this is something that you wanted to get into a little bit later, but just looking at this Patriots team, how many young players do they have to build around? You know, again, I know you said we can use those those higher picks, maybe not necessarily on a quarterback, and you got to use it on other areas to build around the team. But just looking at this Patriots team, so I'll give you mine, which would be maybe J.C. Jackson and Chase Winovich on the defense, 
And on offense, I've got Damian Harris. Other than that, I, I don't really have much for you. And that's another area is when you're in that kind of middle ground where you need to make either more picks to build a, a better foundation or you need to kind of just go all in on free agency to boost your, your playoff ability. You've got to kind of make that decision. And I think the Patriots are in a bad spot where they don't have enough stability at the bottom to build around. And I don't know necessarily if they have enough to go and, and just load up in free agency to be right back there again. Now they might with their, with their cap space, but that's kind of a whole different issue. And you got to hit on those guys. And I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I think that would probably be more where I lean because even in that high pick space, they uh, they need more to build around. That's for sure. So I think if I've learned anything from following the Patriots for so many years, it's that never buy into what anybody is as a rookie. Like you look at Damian Harris or Chase Winovich or who, you know whoever else. Like yeah, James, what James White did as a rookie is another great example. Like Julian Edelman. There are so many guys that do nothing as a rookie, and then in their second or third year, they end up you know flashing. So so I'll I'll wait to pass judgment on this rookie class. Certainly Kyle Duggar looks like he has some talent and guys like that. But uh, the only guys I'd maybe throw into your list are like maybe Jacoby Myers, what he did for a few weeks, especially that game, you know, against the Jets, who obviously are horrible. But, uh, you know, he had a really solid game, really great game there. And then uh, I might throw in Adam Butler, too. I think he's a free agent, but the last three weeks he's played really well. But like, you're, but your overall point is correct. I was kind of trying to make the point that, hey, you know, it's a, it's about building up those pieces. And you're like, where are those pieces? You know, you're right. They need, you know, it's a 53-man roster, but they don't have a lot on this roster as it is. And it may be the the only reason they, they might be six and seven is coaching because there might be nothing really nothing to work from. But I think that you know they do have a lot of cap space. You can hope that Bill Belichick's still appealing enough to guys like Hunter Henry, who's a name that was you know flying around after what happened last week, and you know whoever else is out there. You know you find your kind of diamond in the rough at, uh, defensively and try to build up your defense. And Belichick has been certainly very good at that in the past. So they'll have some flexibility to do something here. Uh, and, and, you know, hopefully they can. But as, as far as what, you know, what they have moving forward, they do need a big over, like a, a big talent infusion on this roster. And I think the best way to do that is probably free agency over the draft because we've seen in the draft, like I said, it not only does it take one year for the guys anything at all, but they've had trouble finding usually anything here in, in recent years. And, you know, like certainly a guy we haven't mentioned, like Onwenu on the offensive line, he looks really good. He looks like a piece you can have, but, you know, we're not going to talk too much about the offensive line. But other than that, they, they, they've really struggled there. So I think what you really have to bank on is finding, you know, those kind of pieces that you found in the past through free agency, maybe through trades. And, and, and that's how you have to try to build the roster back up. Yeah, I just think as a fan or as a someone who follows an organization you have to have or even heck even the, the owners of the organization you've got to have faith in your in your structure if you have faith in your coach if you have faith in your general manager then you go out and you and you get the quarterback for your you know you get at least a stable quarterback at that position that you feel comfortable building around if you're the jets and and you you don't really feel comfortable in your coaching staff then yeah that's obviously a hard a hard example to use when trying to, to you know, build up with that position because maybe Darnold would have been better with a with a new structure and what have you. But if you're if you're basing things off the assumption that you have a good structure in place, as I believe the Patriots do clearly, then you've got to go and be stable at that position. It's as much as some people would like to have the idea that you can treat that position as just another one on the football field and you can you know really plug and play anyone there. I think the the fact of the matter is you've seen that's not the case. You need a, a solid. NFL caliber quarterback there if not someone who is above average then someone who is average I mean even if you just look around the league I think there are a lot of quarterback rooms where I I look at the Saints as as a perfect example I would take all three of those quarterbacks over the current Patriots quarterback room and just again this is feeding into my example of you need that symbiotic relationship of a good structure and then needing a guy at that quarterback position that you feel comfortable with. Yeah, and this is a question I want to pose to you because we're talking about you know having a good structure and building the team back up and, and all this stuff and feeling confident in your coaching staff. After this season in particular, if you're Bill Belichick, where is your head at? What are you thinking as far as your future? I just if, if it's you, what is your mindset at this point as far as how long are you going to even continue doing this? Well, I think that depends on, on where his confidence level is that he can can rebuild this team. And, and I would love to know, frankly, where he feels confident in certain areas and where he doesn't. For example, I would think that he's pretty confident in the secondary and that he can make some strides with his second-year players, as you mentioned, because generally second-year players will have a better kind of grasp of things than first-year players. 
But if I'm him, what I'm doing, you know, frankly, this is what I would do. I don't know necessarily if this is how he feels, but I would kind of just revamp the quarterback room. I would go and try to find a new stopgap guy, preferably one. So I'm going to cut you off for a second here because I, I wasn't even necessarily asking about what you would do if you're Bill Belichick with your roster. I'm talking about in relation to like retirement, like where your head at would be at in in that kind of regard. Well, I, I, I don't I don't really understand why that would even be a, a thing that he would think about. I mean, what would that do for his legacy if, I mean, the, what, a year after you... you move on well from i don't Brady mean necessarily become... now i don't i don't mean the immediate i'm just saying how what would your plan be like what if you're if you're like wrapping it out right now not even are you retiring right now but is it do you have three years left do you have five years left because this is a big question to me because i mean we're, we're talking about this whole thing of team building and structure and everything like this and we're going to get into josh mcdaniels next here and uh, talk about him a little bit but if the thing that that should give you faith in this team, if you're a Patriots fan, is Bill Belichick, is that, hey, we don't have talent, but Bill Belichick's able to, you know, win some games. And if we get him some talent, he'll be able to win more games again to get back to the playoffs. But how much longer can you really bank on having Bill Belichick and having him around? And, hey, okay, we just all we need to do is build this team back up and Belichick will be here and he'll do... Well, how long is he going to be here? How long are you actually going to have that guy? Because it really might not be much that that much longer... And are, are you confident enough that we can rebuild fast enough and quickly enough that we can still have Bill Belichick for another, you know, five-year run or something like that with a new revamp, new-look Patriots? Or is that going to go away soon? And then what are you left with? Because now all of a sudden, not only do you not have the talent, but you don't have the structure either. I don't think there's really a concrete answer to that question, but I think the, the base answer is that the organization has clearly put their faith that they're going to have him at least, I would say, you know, my estimate would be for another five years. I mean, they made that they made that decision. It was Brady or Bill, and they chose Bill. And I think you've seen the integration of his kids on the coaching staff. He's the GM, so clearly they have faith in him to go and and get and do what he needs. I mean, he has he has full control over how he rebuilds this team. So if you're asking in terms of where is he at in his career, it's basically wherever whatever he wants to do for as long as he wants to do it. But I just, I mean, they made that decision that they're confident at least that he's going to be here for the foreseeable future. And then I think the answer to your question directly is really it's however long he feels like he wants to do it. I mean, I think a lot of people have talked about him chasing that Shula win record, and I think that's important to him. So. Um, he needs a couple more seasons of, of pretty high win totals to get there. So I, I really don't know if there's a concrete answer other than it's really however long he wants to do it, and they've made their bed with that decision to keep him and, and have moved forward with him in the, the top role, so to speak. Okay, how are you feeling about Josh McDaniels right now? Because I've seen a lot of stuff flying around about McDaniels just people upset with him all season. People have been upset with the play calling. They've complained about it. And this has been a thing for a while with McDaniels. People not happy with his play calling. And it feels like the shine has come off of that kind of jewel for the Patriots, so to speak. They, they, they just People are not as high on McDaniels as they used to be. This is a guy that a lot of people at one point in time were saying this should be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. This is going to be the transition. This is going to be the next guy. A lot of people really liked. And now... I am seeing people say they they want Josh McDaniels fired after this season. Like there are people out there that legitimately think that. So where are you right now as far as how you feel about Josh McDaniels? The baseline for McDaniels is that I think it's okay to not want anybody else, but still be critical of the people that you have. And so that's where I always am with McDaniels. I, I don't really love when it's got to be black and white. Either you want him or you don't. Like I wouldn't want another offensive coordinator besides McDaniels. However. I think sometimes he has less than great days. I think his red zone play calling has been an issue for you know a couple of years now. I think he goes to the trick plays a little too much sometimes and tries to get a little cu- too cute with things. But you know it was funny to me that last night they they didn't really go to any of those. But I like McDaniel's. I, I I would rather have him than not have him. But I do think at some points he struggles. And look, I think the reality of the situation is he's not dealing with a whole lot here. Uh, so you know, I don't really know what. He's going to be able to do it. It's a learning process for him. This is his first year without Brady as well. So I think you've got to give him time. But on the flip side, you know, I've heard things that always suggest, as they do every year, that he might leave. And if that happens, that's fine. You know, then you, this, is, this offense isn't exactly in a spot where, you know, you need him to, to revamp the, the 2016 offense or the, the 2018 offense or what have you to make another run. You've got time to figure it out if you need to move on. And I think. I don't know who the, who the next guy would be. I, I think it would be Jed Fish, but 
you know, look, I, I hope that the, that he sticks around. I hope they have him, and and I just I don't know. I think he's been on a roller coaster year, and I think there are some things that could be better. But at the same time, if he leaves, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for the Patriots either. So you brought up the Chargers. Uh, do you think? I, I mean, I, I heard some. I want to bring up this up because Mina Kimes tweeted this out like a week ago, and I thought it was really funny. I think when the Patriots were up forty-five nothing, she tweeted out. The Chargers look like a good uh, coach, a coaching job for like any potential head coaching candidate out there, but it's also like buying a, a house that somebody was murdered in. <laughs> it's like I, I don't know if uh, yeah I, I don't know if I want to live here like this you know it's, there's that kind of disaster you're looking at, but I, I like the Chargers. I mean because it, it is true I like the Chargers roster. I like Herbert and all this stuff, but. It seems like there is something fundamentally wrong with that team, and and maybe it is Anthony Lynn. But like once upon a time, when the Chargers were actually in the playoffs, Anthony Lynn looked like kind of a good head coach, and now they've just kind of fallen apart. I mean, certainly if it was if it was me, if I was Josh McDaniels, I would yeah, I would want to go coach Justin Herbert because he looks really good. But if he does go there, do you do you think it's going to work? Do you think that's a marriage that actually is is going to be something that lasts for a considerable amount of time, and he's going to have success there? Well, I mean that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with structure, and that's an interesting case where it feels like they've hit on everything in terms of a good offense and the good young quarterback. It's just the organizational structure with the coach has kind of hit the end of the road there, and that's all I think has happened. I don't think Anthony Lynn is necessarily a bad coach. I think just he's he's kind of come to the end of his rope there on on just what the Chargers are sort of trying to, to do with his system. And and I think he's done a good job. I think he's a great coach. I just think sometimes, I mean, like, it's again, like with Bruce Arians. I, I don't think we think that Bruce Arians necessarily is a bad coach, but I think he kind of comes to some sort of points where you just kind of question what the overall uh, goals are for the coach, where the organization is at, if that makes sense. And I think that they just need a change of scenery there. I think Anthony Lynn deserves to be an NFL head coach. I think he's proven that. I just think that the organization needs to move in a different direction. They have all the pieces there, and I think that McDaniels would be a good fit. Now, I don't know necessarily if we can base that on a whole lot of things because he wasn't exactly amazing in Denver, and he wasn't exactly amazing as the O coordinator in, uh, I think it was St. Louis at the time. So you'd have to see. I think it would be a good fit, and I really don't know if there would be a better option. We hear every year that McDaniels might go to option A or option B, and really, to me, the Chargers are... If he doesn't go for this, I don't know what he would go and do because this is a great opportunity, I think. And regardless of whether or not someone's been murdered in the house or not, I think that you're not going to find many better options. I mean, if you're the Chargers, is that who you would want? I mean, especially considering the success you've seen of Belichick disciples in the past. Because, I mean, Brian Flores certainly has been okay, but uh, these other guys, you know, Matt Patricia was fired this year, Bill O'Brien was fired this year. Uh, you know, it just seems like these guys are, are not doing too well. Even, you know, Joe Judge is. Maybe looking like he can do something. I don't know. I mean, I guess the jury's still out on that. Early in the season, it looked bad, but now it looks better. Maybe it's just more of the fact that he's in such a terrible division because he is in first place. But I, I mean, if, if I and I think that maybe what factors into this too is like if, if you're the Chargers, you have to have some trepidation about that. You know, given not only the the history of Patriots assistance, but what you just said, McDaniel's history himself. But I mean. Does the forty-five nothing win also factor in? Like you see how polished the Patriots are compared to you, and you want some of that. Like I, I think that might be a consideration as well. No, it's not who I'd want. I would want Eric Bieniemy personally. I would want some of that Kansas City Chiefs magic and see what he can do with Justin Herbert. But uh, I think also if you're not going to be able to go and get him, because I think he's really going to have he, in in my opinion, should have the top choice of wherever he wants to go. Uh, if it's not going to be Bieniemy, then I would look for someone defensively because I think the Chargers could use a little help with defensive scheming and sort of figuring out what they're going to do with some of the great tools they have on that side of the ball um that would be where i would go kind of like you said and again some issues with the belichick coaching tree for me personally if i'm a gm and i'm in charge of finding the next coach i want nothing to do with the belichick coaching tree i'm glad flores seems like he's working out well but for the most part like you pointed out with patricia i just i'm, I'm all set thank you i would rather go somewhere else and yeah frankly i'd be looking at, at the andy reed coaching tree and and for some kind of people you can pick from there and kind of bring some of that magic to your offense. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, you know, the thing about the Belichick coach, it's not as, I don't think it's as bad as as people make it out to be. Bill O'Brien, you know, that ta- Texas team was really talented and he didn't do much with it. 
But even when they didn't have a quarterback, like, he was still getting that team to the playoffs. Like, it, he wasn't a complete train wreck. Because well, that division was so terrible. Yeah. I mean, you know, Andrew Luck was still, like, hanging around. I mean, I know he was injured a lot of that, that year. But I think he was still there some of those years at the end. And then Bill O'Brien was still able to to beat him out with, with uh, in this couple of those years. So, I mean... You know, I just I think Bill O'Brien is he's a little he gets a little too much heat. He's, I I certainly wouldn't want him as my coach. And the way he kind of managed that team, uh, especially the DeAndre Hopkins situation, was was not good, and he deserved to be fired. But I mean, you look at the I mean Brian Flores is, is maybe the one success story that you really can look at right now and say everybody likes him. It seems like seems like his players like him. He's you know a guy that a, a lot of people around the league like, and his team's playing well at this point. So uh, you know. I don't know. I think that if you are the Chargers, I mean, the enemy is interesting because I, I don't know what the situation is going to be with Kansas City. I don't because I don't know. I mean, Andy Reid is a lot younger than Belichick, but he's a guy that maybe thinks about retirement at a certain point too. And I mean, he's sixty-two, which is certainly. I mean, he certainly could have a few good years left. He could play. He could coach twelve more years. And certainly, if you're Andy Reid and you've kind of had your rough go of it as far as head coaching goes, and you finally have the crown jewel, it'd be weird to walk away from it. But I just I, I I wonder I wonder about that situation and whether or not Andy Reid would be ready to walk away at a certain point and just hand the reins over to the enemy. I think that's at least something to think about. But if you're the Chargers, you do you could use a little bit of structure. And I, the Andy Reid coaching tree, by the way, I mean it's gotten a lot of praise. At this point, I mean people thought Doug Peterson was going to be a good piece of that coaching tree. It looks like he might be fired here soon too. So. You know, I, I don't know. It, it can go either way. I mean, a lot of the, the, the reality is that there are very few head, good head coaches in the NFL. A lot of head coaches fail and are fired. And that's more, that's maybe why more, we, we, the reason why we look at these coaches and say, wow, this coaching tree is so horrible, is just because it's really hard to be an NFL head coach. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why Andy Reid would ever want to leave that situation. In my opinion, that's one of the best jobs in America. You yeah. get a front row seat to watch Patrick Mahomes every week. I swear it's. He, he makes three plays per drive where I previously didn't think it was humanly possible to do what he does. But, I mean, that team that team looks amazing. I don't know why Andy Reid would ever want to leave that. But And like you said, he's still pretty young. And Biennemi, I don't know what, if he'd want to wait for that. I think he would want to – I mean, I would want to go and, and pursue a head coaching job if I was him. And, yeah, I, I – look, with the Bill O'Brien stuff, I, I can't really say much more than I, I don't really agree with you on that one, but I respect your opinion and – you know, I don't know if he'll even ever get a head coaching job somewhere else, but I mean, again, the thing with O'Brien too is is he was having a lot of control over the the general manager aspect of that job as well, and I don't think he did a great job there. Exhibit A being Hopkins, as you mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, we might overrate the Andy Reid coaching tree, but I don't really think we've uh, overstated how bad the Belichick coaching tree can be, and I certainly wish Brian Flores all the best, but it's not exactly a good track record. Yeah, I guess, I mean, as now I think about it, I'm trying to think, like, when do coaches usually retire? And and as we kind of have said, I was upset already, a lot of coaches aren't good enough to decide when they retire because they're usually fired. So it's, it is it is a weird situation because you look at these guys, they're getting up there in age, they're in, you know, in their 60s, Belichick and, and Reed, both in their 60s now, and I think Pete Carroll's even older. But... You wonder, oh, all right, when are these guys going to hang it up? When are these guys going to call it quits? And it's just not a normal situation for coaches like it is with players. Players usually, for the most part, dictate when they're going to retire, at least the good ones. And coaches usually don't get that luxury. It's usually, you know, you're fired and you've aged out and maybe you're, you know, Wade Phillips and you end up being a defensive coordinator somewhere for a while or something like that. But, you know, usually you don't have the situation where a coach gets to decide when he wants to leave. And that's why it's such a unique kind of situation is because... We don't really know when it's time for coaches to hang it up. The players usually, most players have a cap, like have an age that you're like, all right, they've hit this age. That's when most players, they're, you know, in their career usually end up hanging up or retiring or whatever. Like with running backs, you know, 35 quarterbacks, you know, you start having that conversation around 40. With coaches, it's it's so, you know, it's a conversation we rarely have to have. So we don't really know what the answer is. I think it's all about relatability and effectiveness. The, the latter is obvious. How well are they doing? And the, the first part is just, are they still relatable to the players? I think with a lot of these older coaches, it's surprising when you see guys like Belichick and Carroll still having uh, some pretty good success when you consider just how many eras of football they've been in. And you can even kind of break it down into mini eras if you'd like, but the early 2000s game is so different from the game today, let alone the, the 90s or the 80s or whenever they were in college or what have you. So, 
I think those are the two factors. Then if you even just look at some of the guys who are well-respected but have found kind of little success, um, you know, I, I think of a guy sort of after his Super Bowl run, Ron Rivera. Everybody loves him. It's just, you know, sometimes he doesn't have all of the success that he needs, but you wait around long enough and you start to see some signs of life. I think you're seeing that now with Washington. So I think it's those two things. It's relatability to the players, no matter the age, and then obviously how well you can produce on the field. Because if that happens, it doesn't really matter how relatable you are or how old you are. If you keep winning, you're going to stay with your job. All right, we're going to close this out with two questions, and they're almost the same question. Let's do it. (laughs) What do you want to see the Patriots do at quarterback for the rest of this year? And then what do you want to see the Patriots do at quarterback next year? So I want Stidham for the rest of this year. I probably won't get that until they're mathematically eliminated, but I just want to see what you have. And then if there's a spark there, you know, keep him on the roster, obviously, for next year. I would say probably keep him on the roster no matter what for next year. But next year, I want at least a minimum of two quarterbacks uh, into the QB room. I want one that you draft, preferably within the first two rounds. Who knows if that'll happen? Um, Because I think there are a lot of intriguing options this year, even if it's not Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Um, and then I want a better bridge guy. I want someone not named Cam Newton. Love you, Cam, but haven't seen enough of it on the field this year. There's a lot of issues with money, and there's a lot of issues with who, who you can get based on cap parameters, not just for you, but really for other teams. But give me some guy, I don't care if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Matthew Stafford or Alex Smith, take your pick, any sort of Joe Average quarterback or even above average quarterback. Give me one of those and a young guy, and Stidham, and that's those are your three QBs for next year that I would love to see. So, Bill Belichick came out last night after the game, and he said, Cam is our quarterback. And so it sounds like, I, I actually agree with you, like I said earlier, I, I'm just fine, see, like if you want to just, let's just see what Stidham is, okay? But regardless of that, you know, I, I, I don't think it matters to me a whole lot what they do at quarterback for the best season. You want to go with Cam, sure. The point to me is not, neither of the, one of these guys is the guy, but sure, if I'd pick, I'd like to see Stidham. Next year, they absolutely have to draft a guy in the first two rounds. They absolutely have to. And a lot of people want to paint, like, oh, they like a guy in the third or fourth. The third and fourth round, there's so many quarterbacks that you've never heard of that are drafted in the third and fourth and fifth round because they never amount to anything. And you assume that, oh, there are all these gems found in these rounds, like Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. That's because they're the only ones you've heard of. Like, you hear about all the guys in the first round that are picked and fail, but you don't hear about those other guys that fail. I'm just going to run through. This is going to take a little bit. I'm going to go as fast as I can. I'm going to run through the starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and I will tell you what round they were picked in. Most of them were picked in the first round. The other ones, anyone who wasn't usually picked in the second round, I, I don't know. There are only, you know what? It might be easier if I just run through the ones that aren't. Okay, so here are the quarterbacks right now starting in the NFL. And I'm gonna, I'll even include uh, Dak Prescott because he's injured right now. But I'll even include him. Here are the starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now that weren't picked in the first two rounds: Mike Lennon for the Jaguars, uh, Kirk Cousins for the Vikings, Taysom Hill for the Saints. Which I don't, I don't really want to allow that, but fine. Um, Russell Wilson for the Seahawks and Tom Brady. That is it. That is it. It is just those guys. Alex Smith, first round. Ryan Tannehill, first round. Ben Roethlisberger, first round. Uh, Nick Mullins, second round. Jalen Hurts, second round. Uh, Sam Darnold, first round. Uh, Cam Newton, first round. I guess, you know what? Uh, Colt McCoy was third round, but if that's Daniel Jones' job. He was first round. They're all but about five guys or four guys in the NFL were picked in the first round or the second round. And even the second round, it's pretty vacant. Okay, it's, it's, it's pretty barren. Uh, slim pickings in the second round but you know even guys you, you find guys there Andy Dalton Colin Kaepernick whatever Jimmy Garoppolo okay I I still I I, I think that is absolutely so important that you take a guy in the first two rounds it's not even funny I, you, it, you can if you're actually planning on finding that diamond in the rough in the third or fourth round it is you can't plan for that it is a bad plan it is so so hard to do that it's almost impossible and you you just can't run a team that way you need everybody prioritizes quarterbacks for a reason you find the best guys in the first round it is almost and i don't think people appreciate it enough it is almost impossible to find that guy in the fourth round it is almost impossible yeah i think a lot of the quarterback uh, picking it comes down to guesswork and the round is just improving your odds or your percentages that it might work out and so I, that makes sense to me and that's where people put a lot of investment i mean again if you're if you're taking a guy even in the the fourth or fifth round or what have you 
just think about how much or how little investment he's probably getting in training camp because he's clearly not been picked to to be the guy. And so it's really just based off of do they have that sheer talent and that will alone. So yeah, and then the whole thing about finding a diamond in the rough, you, as you said, you can't plan for that. That's That goes against the saying. So I, I'm you, you won't find any argument from me. All right, I just counted it up. I, to refresh my memory, I don't know if this is right. Is Drew Bre- Was Drew Brees a first-round pick? Oh, uh, you're putting me on the spot here. I'll get back to you on that. I'm going to look it up. I'm looking it up right now. He was a second-round pick. Okay, so 22 of the 32 quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now, if I, if I include Daniel Jones, which I'm going to, 22 of the 32 were picked in the first round. And that number is going to go up if the Jaguars pick Justin Fields next year with the second pick or whoever. So it's just, you know, I think that ultimately there's a reason that's the case. Like you need, I know that many of them don't work out, but that's where you find your starting quarterback. So to me, it has to be one of these guys like, you know, uh, who's who's the guy at BYU? Zach, is it, I want to say Zach Taylor. Zach Wilson. Zach I Wilson. I was, I was thinking Zach, the Bengals coach, Zach Taylor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or whoever. You need to trade up and get one of those guys and just hope it works out. And look, quarterbacks in that range, sometimes they do work out. Sometimes you get Josh Allen or you get Mahomes or you get Watson in that, you know, 10 to 15 range. But that's that's where you get Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, you, you could, you know, or, uh, you know, in that range, I think you, you find yourself, uh, what was it, Christian Ponder, the Vikings drafted, or, you know, uh, Jake Locker, you know, these, you, could, you could end up with one of those guys just as easily. But or Josh Rosen, uh, but you know you hope he's only twenty three and making practice squad money. I still just a side note. Yeah. I can't figure out why he's not at least worth a flyer. I would love to see at least maybe someone try some. His low lights are bad, but some of his highlights. I mean, he's got an arm. That's all I'll say. Well, uh, maybe New England or hey, maybe he's Tom Brady's successor in Tampa because that's where he is right now on their practice squad. But um, you know, we'll see. I just think that. It like there's it's there's not as much appreciation for this as it should be. You have to draft a guy in the first round this year. You really do. Um, all right, Severin, thank you so much for joining us and talking Patriots. We really appreciate it as always, guys. You can go follow Severin on Twitter at Severin underscore L. And once again, Severin, thank you. We appreciate you coming on and talking New England with us. Always fun, KJ. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at ByKJO. Follow Pod on Twitter at WickedSmartPod. Check out everything over at Guy Boston Sports, especially. The new partnership we have with Bannertown USA, very excited about that. I went on their podcast recently. Uh, not a, not a sports conversation, but we had some we had some fun conversations about uh, music and and movies and stuff like that, and then uh, boxing. I guess I guess boxing. I, I know you know what I'm talking about, Severin. I guess it's boxing we're talking about. I don't really know uh, if that's the way, right correct way to categorize it. I feel like I'm doing a disservice by doing that, but definitely go check that out. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.